You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Uh, Happy Easter. This is the biggest celebration of the year uh, for us as believers. For uh, the believer, Easter is what Mardi Gras is to New Orleans. This is what fires us up. This is what drives us. This is what defines us. This is what we are known for. This is what puts the Christian faith on the map. It's Easter. Easter is not just a sentimental religious holiday or a long weekend with, with bunnies and brunches and all the things that we think of. It's the day that we celebrate this truth, this world-changing, life-altering truth. Jesus Christ is alive. Amen? If he wasn't, we may as well pack up the cross, close our Bibles, go home, eat, drink, and be merry, for nothing else matters. We are to be the pitied of all pitied in the earth if Jesus isn't alive, but the reality is Jesus is alive today, and Easter is the foundational truth of the Christian faith. Christianity without the resurrection is like a house without a foundation. It's like a car without an engine. It's like the boat without the bottom. Here's what John MacArthur says about Easter and the resurrection. The truth of the resurrection gives life to every other area of gospel truth. The resurrection is the pivot on which all of Christianity turns and without which none of the other truths would much matter. Without the resurrection, Christianity would be so much wishful thinking taking its place alongside all other human philosophy and religious speculation. So determined was God that we understand who Jesus is and the power of his resurrection that he wrote us a book penned by man, God-inspired, persevering over time, historically proven. The book points to one reality. The Bible points to one reality. It's Jesus Christ. And the pivotal moment in Jesus Christ's life was his resurrection. The prophets in the Old Testament foretold that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. The Gospels record everything about Jesus' resurrection from firsthand, that they saw with their eyes the reality of Jesus. And the letters to the churches, the rest of the New Testament, just highlight this one truth. Jesus is alive and he's coming back. History revolves around this reality. Jesus Christ is alive. This morning we're going to look at Mark chapter 16. And just from one man's view through the glasses of Mark, we're going to see what he saw on that first Easter morning. If you don't have a Bible, you can stick your hand up in the air. Now, we'd be more than glad to get you a copy of God's Word that you can follow along. And if you don't have one at home, please take it home with you. Uh, this is your Easter gift from us. We encourage you to read it and to open your mind and heart to what God has for you. Now, Mark chapter 16, we're going to quickly hit the whole passage, but mainly focus on the first uh, eight verses. And here's the point I'm trying to make today. I'm not trying to, nothing rocket science about today's sermon. There's nothing new you're going to learn if you've been to church before because it's the same truth, but how much power it has. Simply, I want you to see this, that Jesus Christ is truly, truly alive today. And am I trying to convince you of this? Absolutely, I'm trying to convince you of this today. Not because I want you to agree with me. Who cares what this guy thinks? Because this is what the Bible says, and every life hinges on whether you accept or believe this reality. So I'm going to preach it like it's my last sermon, and I ask you to open your eyes and your ears to hear like it's a life-altering reality that you need to hear because that is true. First thing I want you to write in your notes if you're taking notes is simply this. Check it out. The tomb is empty. Check it out. The tomb is empty. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? 
It's pretty wild, though, when you think about the story of Easter. Let me read for you the first a few verses of this. Look at this, the resurrection. See chapter 16 above, there's a little subtitle in your Bible called the resurrection. This should be in bold. It should be italicized. It has some exclamation marks at the end because this is the greatest miracle of all time. Don't miss it. Don't miss the familiarity of the story this morning. Mark chapter 16, starting with verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed... Mary Magdalene and the Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices, bought spices so they might go out and anoint him, Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back and it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Go figure. Let's stop and understand what's happening on that first Easter morning. So it was right after the Sabbath was over, over the Sabbath, if you recall from history, it was really important to the Jews, it still is. And so at the end of Friday, sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, they closed everything down. They stopped working, stopped exercising, stopped everything to focus on one thing, honoring the Lord. And so Jesus died around 3 o'clock on a Friday, and between 3 and 6, they got him to the tomb, and then everything shut down. But as soon as 6 o'clock the next day rolls around, like everything comes alive again. And when we were in Israel, that's exactly what happens today. And so as soon as everything became alive again, some ladies uh, went to buy some spices to uh, anoint the body of Jesus. Who are the ladies? It says here, Mary, the mother of James, Mary Magdalene, and Salome. Other passages, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all have the resurrection in their account. All differ in details. And you're like, aha, I knew it was a false story. It's not it actually proves the validity of the story. It'd be like if you went to a concert with three friends and you came home and told somebody your experience, you'd all have the same basic story, but you'd be like, yeah, the red lights were amazing. Someone else would be like, what, the red lights? I, I saw green lights, you know? But together they give us the whole picture. And so we also know that Jesus' mother was a part of this and they, as soon as Sabbath ended, they went to buy some ointment. Well, what was this all about? Well, back in Jesus' day, they didn't embalm bodies like we do today. They didn't have like an undertaker who, who got them all dressed up in their best suit and combed their hair all nice. You know, they, they basically took them to the, the tomb and there they would decay. And so what people who love, when you love somebody and want to honor them, you would go and, and put ointment on them to, to help the stench from decay uh, not take over. This is what the ladies were doing and it was early in the morning. You can imagine... Uh, the restless night they had, if you ever lost someone you loved, you just don't sleep much after that, right? You're restless, you're anxious, and they lost their beloved Jesus. But even more than that, they lost the dream of salvation because everything was wrapped up in him. And so as soon as the lights came on, the sun came up in the morning. They're like, let's go and anoint Jesus' body. And so they took off. But on the way, they started thinking about this. They're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. How are we going to get in the tomb? These are just ladies, and the way the tombs worked back in that day, they weren't like they dig a big hole and put the body in. What they would do, you see it up on the screen, they would carve a hole in the side of a mountain, and that would be the tomb. Inside the tomb were two, uh, two areas. You can see it in there, and the body would be in, on one side of that, and they had this huge stone. See that massive stone? You can't see the, the, the size of it. That's a massive stone, and a little track they would have that would kind of come uphill. They'd put the stone at one side, and then when the body was in there, they'd roll a bunch of men would roll this stone down into place. 2,000 pounds, that thing was. They'd seal it up, and that way the tomb would be closed and no one could get in or get out. What the ladies probably didn't realize is that a guard was posted. Since they left, a guard was posted at the tomb. 
One of the things we learned about Jesus when he died, they really wanted him dead. And they wanted to make sure nothing happened that this guy could ever be conceived as alive. So they put a guard there to guard that tomb with his life. And so you can imagine the shock of these ladies. Well, how are you going to get in the tomb? They come around and all of a sudden it's like, <gasps> the tomb, it's open. Wouldn't that be shocking? You'd be like you or I burying one of our loved ones and a couple of days going back with flowers and you get there and there's like a big pile of dirt and the coffin's open. You'd be like, you know, one of those moments where your brain can't catch up with the reality of what's happening. You're like, is this for real? You know, like the times you're driving down the road and you see an accident or a tire comes bouncing by, you're like, like, what? I can't comprehend. They, they were, what does it say? They were alarmed. That's putting it mildly, right? They were alarmed. They were shocked, panicked. Add to that panic, there's a ghost in there. You think, right? But it's an angel. Guy in all these bright clothes and they're, what is going on? Tomb's empty. There's another person in here. Clearly it wasn't Jesus. Just stop and think about this for a minute. Shocking, isn't it? The Easter story is really shocking. We make it into a nice little children's tale, but it's a shocking story of one who was dead becoming alive. Shocking. I can tell you the tomb is empty. But because this is so beyond our everyday norm, it's so beyond what we kind of put in our little boxes of this could happen, I, I know that we are, even sitting here today, just as shocked as they were. And Part of us is like, could this really be true? Like, how does this happen? Is this a farce? Is this a, anyone ever been there before? I've been there. It wasn't just the ladies that were shocked. We are shocked every day. Well, I don't understand, so it can't be true. Or maybe some of us are like, I don't want it to be true, so it can't be true. And yeah, let me ask you this. Just because you don't understand it, just because maybe you don't want it to be true, does that make it not true? Not at all. There's lots of things that science can't even explain, and yet it's true. And so for decades, here's what people have been doing. Ever since this happened, here's what people have been doing. They've been trying to, to, it's so shocking, they've been trying to come up with reasons of how they can explain away the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Ever since this day, it's been like, how can we prove this isn't true because it doesn't fit into my little brain, so it can't be right. Even to this very day, every time you Google Easter at Easter, you'll find all these major newspaper articles or major magazines or internet sites that are trying to disprove the resurrection. Ever notice that? Wild, isn't it? I know there's many people in here that just it's so hard to believe. You're like, give me some evidence. Give me some evidence. Don't just tell me the tomb is empty. Give me some evidence. Well, I'm glad you're thinking that because I want to give you some evidence today. I want over this sermon, build a case for you to help you see that this is in fact reality. And if you're a believer today, I just want to... Make this concrete in your heart. that You can leave here going like, there's no doubt Jesus is alive. If you're an unbeliever today, I want you to just give me like the next 30 minutes to try and build a case to prove to you that Jesus Christ is truly alive. The way I'm going to do that is I'm going to take the major theories that people have come up with over the years and I'm going to debunk them one by one with truth and biblical fact this morning. And the first one is this. This is how people try to will away the crucifixion or the resurrection of Jesus it's the swoon theory. It's the swoon theory. There's four options with this. One of these options is true. The first one is a swoon theory. What's this theory built around? It's built around the fact of this, this belief that Jesus really didn't die. 
Monty Python, anyone old enough to watch Monty Python? A couple of us? I'm not dead yet. Remember that part? It's the only part I remember for some reason. That's the theory, is that Jesus was on the cross, and they took him down, but he wasn't quite dead. Let's stop and think about that theory for a minute. So somehow he worked his way out of the, out of the tomb and, and pulled a great big hoax on us all. Let's think about that theory for a minute. Jesus wasn't dead. Do you remember what happened to Jesus before he died? Like, they beat him to a pulp. Then they hammered him to a cross, nails, real nails, through his hands, through his feet, and he hung there for six hours. And back in that day, the, the, the people who did crucifixions, the guards, if they messed up a crucifixion, you know what was, you know what was on the line? Their own lives. You mess up a crucifixion, you'll find yourself on the next cross. So their job was to make sure they were dead, and so what they would do to make sure that the, the prisoners were dead is they'd go around, and the last step was to break their legs, a practice known as a curifragrium. So they broke both, and John, it records this, they broke both the legs of both people on either side. They got to Jesus, they're like, he's already dead, boss. Let's see for sure. So they shoved a spear in his side and pierced his heart and outflowed water and blood, separated. Jesus clearly died of asphyxiation of the lungs and he suffocated to death. And any medic who would read the account of John would be like, oh yeah, 100%, he's dead. So for this theory to work, the swoon theory, what would have to have happened is Jesus, after this brutal beating, beat beyond recognition, hanging on a cross, spear in the side, then what they do is they wrap him in like a, a burial cloth or linen. They wrap him up like a mummy, you know, and put them in there. So this is what would have had to happen. Jesus, weak as all get out, and if he could survive this, he, must, he should join the UFC because he could take a beating. He went through all this, he'd be in there, he'd somehow have to Harry Houdini himself out of the claws, you know, weak, hadn't eaten in a few days, take up all his clothes and fold them up and put them in a nice little neat pile like the other passages record. He'd have to take that 2,000 pound stone, break the seal somehow, roll it up the little thing and sneak out of there past the guards, all completely naked. And then he had to hide himself for the rest of his life and even fool the disciples because they lived the rest of their lives like he was dead. Some people believe that. You believe that today? I have a plot of land in Florida I'd like to sell you right after church. <laughs> Kidding, I'd never do that. But you know what I'm saying? Look at like, it takes more faith to believe that than the reality of what happened. Here's another theory that is out there. It's a conspiracy theory. We love conspiracy theories, don't we? Every major thing that happens now, it's a conspiracy theory. It didn't really go down that way. There's got to be another explanation, right? 9-11 and and Sandy Hook, and Vegas. There's all these conspiracy theories. We love them. Well, so did the guards back in Jesus' day. The conspiracy theories started as soon as the tomb was empty. They knew for sure that Jesus was gone, and how do you explain this away? So they said in Matthew chapter 28, they're like, hey, I have an idea, I have an idea. Make up a conspiracy theory and say that this disciple stole his body. They snuck in the tomb when no one was looking. They rolled the stone away. They took him out. They folded his clothes. They took his body and hid it away, and that's one of the theories out there. It's a conspiracy theory. The disciples did it. Think about this with me. The disciples, like, who were the disciples? Were they like the brave, courageous, conspiracy theory, like rebels? Were they like that? No way. Where, where were they? Where were they when Jesus died? Where were they? Were they courageous enough to say, I'm standing with my king? Were they? What were they doing? Mark, he's probably the guy that lost his knickers and ran away naked. That's probably Mark. 
Peter's the guy that denied Jesus. The leader denied Jesus three times. I don't know him. Even in front of a little servant girl, I don't know him. Rest of the disciples, they were like college students on St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day party and the cops show up. They were like, whoa, I'm gone. And these are the guys that pulled off this biggest heist in human history. Again, the guard's life depended on keeping Jesus inside the tomb. The boss shows up and the, Jesus is gone. The guard is the next one. He's going to be the next occupant of the tomb. Interesting, the guards had the same story as everyone else. The stone was rolled away. We don't know what happened. The stone just rolled away. Think about this, too. If the governing authorities of that day really believe there's a conspiracy theory, don't you think they would do everything they can to find that body? Look at the extent they went through to kill Jesus. Sham trials, they went to great lengths to kill him. Don't you think if they thought, I think the disciples did it, you know what they would do? They'd put 24 hours, 24-7 surveillance on the disciples. They'd find that body, they'd bring it out and say, stop this Jesus talk. That was the whole goal. Could they do it? Not a chance. Think about this also, conspiracy theory. Here's 11 guys trying to keep a secret their whole lives. Remember when you were a kid and you tried to come up with a little secret with your buddies to tell your parents? One guy would ever blow it every time, right? <laughs> we came in at our nine. Come on. So all of a sudden, like these 11 guys kept this secret their whole lives and even took it to their deaths. None of them recanted. They all died for their faith. None of them at the deathbed were like, okay, I changed my mind. It didn't really happen. Save my None of them. Conspiracy theory just doesn't work. What about this one, the myth theory? Jesus died but didn't rise again. The apostles were these fantastic storytellers. They'd be the best door-to-door salesmen in history then, wouldn't they? They'd be the guys that get the A-plus in creative language class because, man, this story beats like Shakespeare. It beats, it beats like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and the Sherlock Holmes mysteries that become so famous. Like These guys are like, they're pretty good storytellers. But don't forget, they're average guys. They're fishermen and they're tax collectors. Consider this when you think of the myth theory that some people say, well, it's just a myth, it's just a myth. Even the writing style of the Gospels is completely different than the writing style of myths back from the day. The myths had all this colorful language and all this, these details. The Gospels are like a court record, like this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Just giving the case, nothing but the truth. It's two completely different writing styles for it. Consider this as well. There's not enough time for a myth to even develop in the case of the Bible. Myths take centuries to develop. First account of the Bible, first biblical account was written from an eyewitness like 50 years after Jesus died. If it was a myth, they would have shut that down immediately. That's a lie, didn't happen, not going anywhere. And this story keeps going and changing lives forever. Myths don't change lives. Consider this the first eyewitness accounts to the resurrection. Who were they? Who were they in this passage? Little group of women, right? Like, that's not a big deal. Back then, it was a big deal. Women had no credibility. Their, their testimony didn't count in court. If you're going to make up a myth, you've got to have credible witnesses, right? And so right away, they wouldn't use women as the credible witnesses. Glad things have changed today, aren't you? Also think about this. If this were a myth concocted by the disciples, don't you think they would have painted themselves in a better light? If I'm going to write a story and write myself into a script, I'm not going to be the little wuss in the corner. Afraid to do anything, afraid of my own shadow. And if these guys weren't trying to glamorize themselves, they were just trying to say it like it was. 
Finally, think of this. The disciples would have absolutely nothing to gain from telling this story. There was no reality TV show contract waiting on their kitchen table. There was no promise of book deal proceeds or anything like that. You know what, you know what this myth bought them? You know what it bought them? A life of pain, a life of suffering, a life of uncomfortable comfortable living, uncomfortable living. Ultimately, you know what this story bought them? They all died a martyr's death except for one. That was John who happened to make it to old age. People like Peter were hung upside down on a cross. What did they gain from this? Oh yeah, hardship and suffering and death. Well, for sure they made it up then. Forget about all the myths. Here's the last reality. There's four, four ways this could have gone down. Swoon theory, conspiracy theory, myth, or faith. Jesus died and he rose again. Even logically, even though it's hard to understand, one makes sense. I'm just giving you a snapshot of the others. Go study them. One makes sense. Jesus actually died and rose again. This is the truth that God's word spells out for us throughout the whole Bible. The whole Bible comes to one reality. Jesus is alive. Why is it so hard for some people to simply understand? Why are people so opposed and angry? Would you bring that up? I think it comes down to one thing. Lots of people just don't want it to be true. So we'll try and find every other way to around it because if it's true, that means there is a God out there who has a plan for my life. He's got a purpose for my life and I'm not the king of my own life anymore. There's another king that I need to bow to. And so it's easier, it's easier to buy into Nisha's slogan, God is dead, instead of Jesus, God's slogan, Jesus is alive. Newsflash, Nietzsche is also dead. Jesus is still alive. God still reigns, God still rules. We don't have to get the God delusion books. Let's get the book of life open and read for yourself. If you don't believe me, just start reading for yourself and seeking God. If this is real, you need to show me because this is life-changing and this is eternal. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Here's a fact before we go on to the next section. You just have to get the empty tomb is not to let Jesus out, it's to let us in. The empty tomb is not to let Jesus out, it's to let us see in, because without seeing in, we probably wouldn't believe, and we all want to see, right? Show me evidence, show me evidence. Here's the evidence, the tomb is 100% empty. You go around the world and try and find tombs of famous people, you can find them, because their name's on it and their body's still inside. You can't find Jesus' tomb, you know why? Because it was empty. It was empty. It was empty. Second point is simply this, see this, Jesus is alive. See this, Jesus is alive. I'm just gonna give you some more evidence to put in your case as you build it, as you build it for the reality of Jesus being alive. Verse six, and he said to them, the angel, do not be alarmed, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified, he has risen, he is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. He actually said that he was going to do that in 14 verse 28 of Mark. There you will see him just as he told you. See how many times it says see, see, see. Get this. Jesus wants you to see him even this morning. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. This is the women. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. 
Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. This is Jesus. Now, you go tell them. They're not going to go tell them. So Jesus is like, I'm going to go show them then. Appeared to Mary Magdalene from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and they had been seen by her, they would not believe it. Notice that. No one expected the tomb to be empty. The women didn't expect the tomb to be empty. They had the spices. The disciples who'd walked and talked with Jesus didn't expect the tomb to be empty. They didn't believe it. So look what Jesus does in verse 12. After these things, he appeared to another, in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe him. Even the disciples lacked faith. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table and he rebuked them. He didn't show up like, hey guys, that's how you, he rebuked them for their unbelief and for their hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Hold that thought. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. And they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down where he is right now at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere where the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. This last section of chapter 16 is really summarized by three words. Let me give them to you to help you see the reality of Jesus. Three words, the message, the mandate, and the manifestation. Let me break these down. Look at the message of the angel. Look at the message of the angel. It's here black and white for us, for those of us who need black and white. Here it is. Look at the angel. Do not be alarmed. What God said to everybody when he met them face to face or an angel met them, fear, don't be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. You might think that's a simple statement, but this is actually proving the fact that Jesus was a real person in a real time, in a real place, historically proven. Jesus of Nazareth, like Daryl of St. Catherine's. He's true, he's real, not make-believe. He was crucified on a cross, he has risen. He is not here. He went from death to life that morning. Didn't, wasn't resuscitated. He was actually a corpse and became alive. Then look what's next, the mandate. This isn't to be a secret kept to yourself. It's not a secret kept for the women. See the place where he is. they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Here's the mandate. Go and tell the disciples. Quickly, ladies, go and tell the disciples. They mentioned Peter specifically. You're like, why is that? Why didn't they say the disciples? Well, think about this. When was the last time Peter saw Jesus? Right before he died, right? What was Peter doing while Jesus was getting punished and in court and hanging on a cross? Where was Peter? Oh, yeah, he was denying Jesus. What do you think Peter would think if he heard that Jesus was alive? You know what he'd think? Guilt and shame and oh my goodness, he's gonna come and get me. He never, he never, he never accepts me back. But look what, you know what the whole point of this is? He's like, go tell Peter that Jesus is full of grace. 
Go tell Peter that Jesus hasn't given up on him yet, that Jesus still wants him as a friend, that wants to restore him and bring him back. Go tell Peter. It's the same message that God wants us to tell everybody who sometimes comes to that place where they think that God cannot accept me anymore, that I've failed him once and for all in the greatest way. No way, no way. Go tell, fill in the blank, that Jesus wants to see them. Jesus wants to see all of us. Go tell the disciples. The women were too afraid to do it. They were afraid. It says it a few times in here. Do you think they were scared? They were afraid. Look what Jesus does. He's like, all right then. Ladies aren't going to follow through. I'm going to take matters to my own hands. This is too big of a truth to not let people know. So what Jesus does in the rest of this passage, he starts revealing himself to people. The whole point of this, I think, is this. Jesus didn't raise from the dead to then hide out for the rest of his life. Jesus rose from the grave and he wants the world to see him alive. Jesus rose from the grave and he wants you to see him alive today. Here's how Jesus plays hide and seek. Not like us. We find the best place possible. We could hide out for hours. He plays hide and seek like my two youngest kids. You know, they play hide and seek in the middle of the living room like this. You're like, oh, I don't know. Where's Maya? <laughs> Big smile like, here. I don't know anyone in the room. Nikki, Nikki. You walk by them and pretend you don't see them. I'm right here, Daddy, right here. That's Jesus. He, he doesn't want you to believe he's dead. He doesn't want you to think that he doesn't exist. He wants you to see him. Look how much he wants the world to see him. First, he appears to Mary Magdalene. This is a lady who knew the power of Jesus, right? Because she was delivered from seven demons. So she's one who saw. She's one that maybe would believe that she saw the power already in her life. Maybe that's why she was so devoted to him. She was like, man, how can I honor the one who delivered me from all these demons? He appeared to her. Then he appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Luke 24 where captures this whole thing. They're on the road to Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. They're walking along going like, wow, can you believe the events of the last few days? Like Jesus was, I thought for sure he was a savior. The next thing you know, he's dead and in a tomb. And some people say he's alive. And get this, they didn't even recognize him. Why? It says in the passage, Jesus said, why? Because of their uh, hardened heart and their unbelief. They didn't see him until after. All of a sudden, they were like, ah, that was Jesus. I thought there was something familiar about him. Appears to the disciples. Uh, after that, he goes in with the 11. Actually, there was probably only 10 there. Uh, Mark missed one in his count. He was probably just trying to get the picture. They were all there, but Thomas wasn't there. He goes to the disciples, and again, he goes into the disciples, and he wasn't there with like the open arms. He was there as he rebuking them. It means he was correcting them. He was like, come on, guys. What are you doing in this room? Like you saw all my miracles firsthand. You, you saw me spit in mud and make somebody see. You saw, saw me touch an ear and make their, them hear again. You watched me make lame men walk. You watched me raise Lazarus from the dead. You watched me calm the seas. And really, you didn't think I could conquer this death thing? He rebukes them. He says, believe and be baptized and you'll be saved. That's the path to salvation. Believe and be baptized. Believe first and then be obedient and follow the Lord in baptism, which you saw today, and you'll be saved. Don't believe and you'll be condemned. The message is so clear for all of us. It's the same message for us today. Believe, be saved, refuse to believe, condemned. And after that, he didn't stop there. He actually, the disciples went and told Thomas. They're like, Thomas, Thomas, Jesus is alive. He's like, I don't believe it. 
Show me the hands. Let me put my fingers through the hands. Let me put my hand inside. Then I'll believe. Jesus is like, all right, you want to see, Thomas? You want to see? He shows up at Thomas's door, kind of right through the wall, locked door, it says. Went right through the wall. He's like, Thomas, 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 check this out. No, come on, come on. Put him in. Poke me right in the belly. Come on. Thomas does it. You know what he says? My Lord, my God, what? His life was forever changed. Then it says in 1 Corinthians that after appeared to Thomas. You know what Jesus did? He appeared to 500 people at once. Like coming in this room right now and be like, all of us saw, all of us saw. I know some of you are thinking what many people have thought over the years. They're like, ah, just hallucinations. People hallucinate. They see what they want to see. Right? It's another theory we can debunk today because this wasn't a hallucination thing. First of all, hallucinations are always personal and subjective. Never recorded in the case of history is a mass hallucination. Even when people are on the same drug, they don't see the same thing. 500 people in this room, you know, we, we all go out, we say we see something. There might be some credence to that. We all see the same thing at the same time. There is some validity to that story. It's not hallucinations as many people try and pass it off as Another thing, hallucinations last only but a few minutes. Jesus, the reality of Jesus lasted for 40 days. 40 days, people saw him, people saw him, people saw him. Huh, where do you find that? In the scripture. After the 40 days, no one saw Jesus. Why? Because he went to the right hand of the Father. It wasn't just a minute thing. Get this too, hallucinations are always very personal in that they all come from what we already know things that we'd seen and experienced before, at least one person said the things that Jesus did were surprising and unexpected. That doesn't go with the whole hallucination thing. What about this? The witnesses that saw all these people, they were very trustworthy people. They were sane, upstanding, moral citizens. Kind of like grandpa and grandma, you know? Not wild and crazy. They're all regular people who their lives, the rest of their lives, live exemplary lives. So they weren't telling a fib. They actually saw Jesus. They actually talked with him. Can't talk to him in a figment of your imagination. They actually ate with him and touched him. Even if the whole hallucination thing was true, it still doesn't explain the empty tomb, does it? It still doesn't explain the empty tomb. Here's the reality. These were not... Figments of people's imaginations. Jesus actually validated his resurrection by showing up to people all through the 40 days he was still on earth and he's been doing it ever since. Maybe not physically, but he's been doing it ever since. He's caused people's eyes to see the truth of Jesus. People, I don't believe in God. All of a sudden they start believing because the Holy Spirit opens their eyes to the Bible and it becomes alive. People who are God-haters become God-lovers. Everybody in history who's seen Jesus in the Spirit has been changed. Think of the disciples even. They went from cowering in the corner to being courageous defenders of the faith. That's what Jesus does. He... Even this morning, maybe he's doing that in your life right now. He's showing you things that, man, you've never seen before. That's a picture of Jesus. He makes our hearts come alive with the reality of this. Not myth, not fiction, but truth. Just like he changed everybody's life. Everybody, when they saw Jesus, their whole trajectory of their life was completely different. He wants to change the trajectory of your life forever. That's the power and the grace of God. He wants to make your life brand new on the inside, alive with the power of God, eternal life. 
This is the story of Easter and the resurrection. Jesus changed the world the first Easter Sunday, and he wants to change our worlds today too. It's such an important truth that I don't know how to emphasize it any differently than I am. This is the one truth that matters most you get in this life. You miss everything else, it doesn't matter. This is the truth that your whole life is staked upon. Here's what Tim Keller says about the resurrection. If Jesus is dead, so is Christianity. If Jesus is alive, so is Christianity. It's all based around a living Jesus. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. So just like the people in Jesus' time at the first resurrection study, just so they could confront with the decision, am I going to believe or am I not going to believe? We're confronted with that right now. I've just laid out for you the reality of Jesus. Will you believe or will you not believe? Will you submit or will you continue to walk in your own ways, refusing to acknowledge the truth of what Jesus has shown us? He is alive. Here's my last point. It's the application for the sermon. It's the application. Four quick applicational points you can take home with you. I don't just want to leave you a theological truth. I want to apply this to your heart. Here's the last thing. It comes out of the text. It's not in the text. It comes out of it, though. It's this. Behold Jesus. Jesus is my everything. What do we take away from Easter? Well, we take away this. Behold Jesus. He's alive, and he's my everything. Not just a little compartment of my life, or not just a figment of my imagination. He's everything to me. Try this on for size. Because Jesus rose from the dead, this is what it proves. He is the son of God. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he is the son of God. He's not just a good moral teacher. He's he's not just some crazy guy or wild conman or a mythical legend like a Greek God. He is the true son of God. Here's what Romans 1.4 says. He was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus' resurrection, brothers and sisters, proves that he is God. Only one, person can, only one person can die to never die again. That's Jesus. Even those who've been revived in life thought they were dead. They've, they've all gone on to die. Jesus Christ will never die because he is the son of God. Nothing else, nothing more. Second thing is this. His message is for real. The resurrection validates everything that Jesus said and did and taught. The resurrection is like, yep, a stamp of like, it's true. What's Jesus' wildest claim? He made a lot of claims, but what's his wildest claim? To be the son of God that he was one day going to rise again. He said 24 times in the gospels, he predicted, I am going to rise again. I am going to die three days later, third day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that's day three. I'm going to rise again. It's true. Everything he said was true. If that doesn't come true, then everything else we can throw away. But that came true as well. There's no more reason to doubt or refute that his message is for real, brothers and sisters. His message is for real. 
And God is alive. Jesus is his son. Everything he said is absolutely true. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. Heaven, it's there. Hell, it's a reality. Does God love you? Absolutely. Did he create you? 100%. Does he have a plan better for you than hell? For, rather you go to heaven than hell? 100%. His whole message is true, and he has a way for you to live your life that is according to God's design. The creator designed us in a specific way to live life, and Jesus shows us that way. Shows that all of his promises are true. The hard things we go through, the trying times, well, can I trust in God's word? You can trust in God's word because he is alive. Everything he said is true. He is our only hope before God. His message is for real. Don't doubt it. Here's a third thing. He is the savior of my soul. Here's what Jesus' death and resurrection ultimately did. It conquered sin and death that we no longer have to live under the curse of sin but we can live under the blessing of God that we no longer have to fear death but we can look forward to, uh, to spending eternity with Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for my sin. When he resurrected, it was like God said, I accept that payment. I'm gonna cash that check. It's a done deal. Jesus conquered sin. Did that do something in your heart? Jesus conquered your sin. Isn't that awesome? Our big problem in society is not cancer. It's not crime. You know what it is? It's the sin that we all battle every single day. Romans says there's no one good. There's no one who does righteous things. Well, come on, pastor. I do some good. Yeah, you do some good, but sin has tainted every bit of who you are. Anyone perfect in this room? Didn't think so. Notice my hands are like in my pockets. Because we're sinners. There's no doubt we're sinners. We try not to, but we just can't help it. And because we're sinners, guess what? God is over here and he's perfect and pure and holy and right. Everything in him is just perfect. And we're over here and we're not quite so perfect and the two can't come together. It'd be like this big tub here being full of pure water and me coming just a little bit of just a little bit of dirt in it well that's not pure anymore and God can't come into contact with anything other than purity and so that leaves us with a dilemma we're there we, we can't earn our way there we can't cleanse ourselves to get there we can't be good enough to get with God so where does that leave us it leaves us the problem here's what Jesus did he, he, he slammed the cross right in the big gap between us and God and so everyone who puts their faith in Christ who repents of their sin has a path to God, that has a reconciliation with God. Jesus becomes, took our sin that we might become righteous and that God looks at us as if we've never sinned. That's justification, isn't that amazing? Put your faith in God and Jesus and that's the reality of your life. If you don't think you're a sinner, just look at the 10 commandments. In the Old Testament, they're there to show us how much we need a savior. You have no other gods before me. Don't put anything in the place of God in your life. Fail. Have no carved images. In other words, don't make up your own God. It's the God of the Bible. There's no other God. Fail. Don't take God's name in vain. But pastor, don't do it once or twice. Don't take God's name in vain. That's how holy he is. Honor the Sabbath. Honor your mom and dad. Don't talk back to them. Oh, what kid cannot say that? Oh, wow, hey? Don't be angry. Don't just honor your mom and dad. Don't murder. Like, well, at least I didn't murder. New Testament, Jesus brings that to the next level. He says, yeah, don't, don't even hate. 
Don't even revile somebody in your heart and wish ill upon them. Don't commit adultery. Well, again, many of us are like, well, check. New Testament, don't even lust. Don't even look at another man or another woman with lustful eyes. That's part of God's command to be pure. It wasn't just about the, the act. It was about the heart, right? Oh, my goodness. You, you sunk yet? We're only partway through that list. You sunk yet? I'm sunk. Don't steal. Not even your time from your employer or the little things. Don't lie. Even the little ones that we think are okay because they save everybody's pain. Don't covet Get this, Jesus' resurrection, you know what it means? All that sin is forgiven. All that sin is forgiven. We don't have to feel guilty anymore. We don't have to walk around with shame. Jesus takes the guilt and the shame and wipes it all away. And not only does he do that, he gives us eternal life. Eternal life starts the moment we accept Jesus and God takes our heart of stone, the rebellious, cold heart towards God. He rips it out of there and he puts in there a heart of flesh, a heart that loves God and wants to pursue God and do things God's way. And then he allows that to continue forever and ever in his presence in glory, heaven. That's eternal life. That's what God did. He came to conquer sin and conquer death. As believers, we don't fear death. You know why? Because God, Jesus conquered it at the resurrection and we know now that our last breath on earth is our first breath of heaven. And so in a strange sort of way, we look forward to that day because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He came to The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, John 10. Jesus came to give us life and give us life more abundantly. Jesus Christ is my Savior as proven through the resurrection. Final one, Jesus is the king of my life. Come encounter the resurrected Jesus. He is the king of my life. Once you see Jesus, once you understand the glory of who he is, here's here's how God wants you to respond. He wants you to respond in humble adoration on your knees. I'm not gonna try and stand up to Jesus anymore. I'm not gonna try and push him in the corner. I'm, I'm gonna bow myself before Jesus Christ. He is gonna be the king of my life. Where does God wanna, what seat does God wanna occupy in your life? He wants to occupy the throne of your life. What keeps most people from coming to Jesus, they see all this, like, yeah, I get it, I understand, I really believe it's true, but man, I just can't give up the seed of authority in my life. Even if you're a believer here today and you're struggling with that, like, like this whole resurrection thing, like, give it up, make God the king, and you'll find the life everlasting that you've been looking for. If you don't believe today and you're holding back, you're holding back because you just don't want to surrender your life to God and his ways and his word. I just want to tell you this, that God only has good plans for your life. He gave up his life that you would find yours. He didn't give up his life to take yours too. He gave up his life that you would find your eternal joy and eternal satisfaction, eternal hope in him alone. So how do we respond this Easter? We make him once again the king of my life. You know why? Because he is alive and he's the only one worthy of our praise. This is Easter in a nutshell. I told you at the beginning, I'm not trying to give you any rocket science today. I'm not trying to like give you something you already heard. This is the story. And this is a story that never gets old because this is our reality as believers. This is our reality. Praise Jesus. Amen? Amen. That we know the resurrected Savior. He's my God and he's my King. Why don't we stand together and I'm gonna close in prayer as the worship team comes.
God, thank you for sending us Jesus Christ to live, to die, and to rise again on behalf of sinners like me and like us. Oh, Jesus, how could we ever repay you? We can't. But yet, God, I pray that you'd be honored today by us singing praise to your name and us just telling the story again in a way I pray that would open every heart to the true reality of what, who you are and what you've done. God, I pray this Easter Sunday for those that are here, that are like the women, that are like the disciples, that are like Thomas, that are like so many that just doubt God, would today have wiped away all the doubts from their minds? Would you open their hearts to truly see and believe Jesus? God, I pray for those that simply don't want to hear this message. They're here, but they really don't want to hear. They want to be king of their lives, and they don't want another king. Oh, Father, I pray today that you'd allow the message of your word to sink so deeply into their mind and their heart that they couldn't help, they couldn't help, they'd be compelled to fall on their knees and say, oh, God, it's true, I'm not the king you are. I am so sorry for trying to fight you all these years. I want to be now reconciled to you. I want to be your child. I want to know your love. I want to experience your presence. I want to know the joy and the hope that you give. God, I pray there's many here that are in that place today that you have allowed this word to sink so deeply in their hearts that they can't walk out of here without encountering Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for those in here that see and believe and you've been working in their lives and they're here celebrating because they know you're alive. God, I pray that this, this, these truths would just allow a deeper conviction, a deeper devotion, a deeper desire to adore you with all that they have and to honor you with their whole lives. God, ultimately we pray at the end of this service that your name would be exalted and we leave here with a greater view of our Jesus, with a greater affection for who you are, and a greater desire to just simply live our lives for your glory. Do this, Lord, I pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit. My words can't do this. Your word can, and your Holy Spirit can. Awaken the sleeper. Give life to the dead. Give fire to the believer today. In Jesus' name, amen.